I'm Michael Moore, and this is Rumble. 100 days, 100 nights, to know a man's heart. 100 days, 100 nights, to know a man's heart. And a little more before he knows his own. Today's episode of Rumble is, to be honest, it's being recorded for an audience of one. That doesn't mean that the uh, hundreds of thousands of you who are uh, tuning in to listen to this uh, should not listen to it. In fact, I want you to listen to it because it's, I'm, I'm really just a stand-in in part for you in saying what I'm going to say um, because you, and not just a few hundred thousand of you who might be listening, but the tens of millions of us who are out there have brought us to this moment, have made this moment happen. And sometimes people on the left, we have a hard time acknowledging not only that progress has been made toward the things that we want to see happen, the things that we believe in, but in, in fact, we help make that happen. I, I, it's a good thing that, I mean, we are filled with an enormous amount. I, I do believe this about most of us of humility, of being humble, of not wanting to take credit, not wanting to take victory laps, all that kind of uh, hooey stuff that uh, is very testosterone filled and uh, the way our politics and everything has been defined over since forever. Uh, because it's been run by men, has this sort of, you know, kind of male competitive quality to it. Like, you know, we we beat them. Uh, <laughs> but the truth is, is I'm afraid because we, we so want to avoid that feeling. We're missing a very important moment in history, which is, is that we are beating them. We have beaten them. Things are in the process of getting better. And while there's a long ways to go, we have, again, I'm just sorry for these heavily hormonal-induced metaphors, but we we seriously have kicked some ass here in the last uh, year, in the last six months, in these last or first, as they call it, 100 days of the Biden administration. And I want you, I want all of you who've worked so hard for so many years, some of you who are older, you've been working on this since you were teenagers, trying to create this better world that we've always talked about or hoped for. And it it may be arriving or it may be out there we can sort of see it on top of a hill. It's it's coming from the exurbs. It's coming in. It's getting closer. The light is getting slightly. You know, you ever look off out into the distance at night, and all of a sudden, a little tiny light appears in the sky. It's not a UFO. It's an. It's just a. It's just an airliner. And um, and of course, like if you're in the if you're in a city. 
then if you're within 20 miles of an airport, they're turning their lights on. You can see the lights are getting brighter because the plane's coming closer. That's what's kind of going on right now. The lights are getting brighter. And, and the good works and the changes are coming closer. We know this on so many levels, and it's happened because so many of you have done any of a number of things. Some of you have just written to your member of Congress, or you've called their phone number. Those are important, important jobs to do. Many of you have been out in the streets, not just in the last year, in the last decade, in the last century, you have marched and marched and marched for this cause and that cause. And just take our Armenian friends. This is a, just a small example, but you know, if you've ever known any Armenian Americans, they're just so upset and have been so upset for so long that the media, that history, that politicians, especially American politicians, will not recognize what Turkey and the Ottoman Empire did to them a hundred years ago. Committed a mass genocide against the Armenian people in a little country called Armenia. And, and they've been trying to get some recognition for this for a hundred years, and they've always been turned away. Sometimes the media blames Turkey. Uh, sometimes you can uh, look up the Anti-Defamation League and Armenia and read the stories about uh, who owns the word genocide. Um, it, 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 it's, <laughs> there's just a whole bunch of political reasons why the, the, there's been a rule within the media to not call the Armenian genocide genocide. And Saturday morning, and I know he did bring this up while he was campaigning, Biden. And I guess I'm sure they, it's not like they just didn't put any thought into it. It seemed like they put a lot of thought into it. And because he seems to be such a straight shooter and he has no filter. He wakes up Saturday morning a few days ago and uh, announces that, uh, the American government recognizes the Armenian people and, and the genocide that they went through. And it was a genocide. And we need to start calling it that. We need to start doing whatever we can to rectify history and to help the Armenian people. And it was just like, you know, a hundred years of policy just right out the window. Like he didn't, he didn't give a flying fuck about any of it, any, what anybody thought or cared about or whatever. He just knew it was right. And he was going to tell the truth. And he did. And it is the truth. And like that, it was over. That was the end of that. He has done that practically every single day. He's done it so much in these first 100 days that I, I can't keep up with it. I mean, we all, we all, if I mention that, you know, he called for D.C. statehood and the House passed that bill last week, but a lot of us have already forgotten about that. It's because there's so many things and because history itself is being made by that jury in Minnesota, by the next cop killing that happened 
in Minnesota, uh, you know, right after that, and then the one in North Carolina, and then the one in Virginia, and on and on and on. An average of three people a day killed by the police in this country. A thousand a year. And yes, I know. Don't send me emails. Yes, a lot of it's in self-defense. Yes, if you've ever found yourself in need of a cop, you're glad the cops exist. But the way we do policing, and I'm not going to get into this again today, has to change. That The old days are over. We need not a police department. We need a department of public safety and compassion. We need a, a team of, of trained professionals who can respond to crisis situations and help people who are in need, whether it's mental health, whether it's with domestic issues within relationships, alcohol, drug addiction, you know, go down the list of things. There, but for the grace of God, go, you know, yes, maybe you haven't had to go through a hard time in your life. But millions of people do. People that never thought they'd be in that situation and suddenly find themselves in that. And what they don't need at that moment is a man with a badge and a gun. We can do, we're so much smarter than this and we can fix all this. And it is being fixed. And I'm not here today to talk to you about this because I'm not here to talk to you today. I just wanted to provide this context for you because I want you to be with me in this and I want you to feel a sense of pride, good pride, not ego pride, a sense of pride and and to give yourself a pat on the back or let me give you a pat on the back for your hard work over the years. Whatever you've done politically, maybe all you've ever done is vote, but you show up and you vote. And you vote for the right people and we're trying to create a better country and a better world. If that's all you did, thank you. If you've been out in the streets for the last year, thank you. If you have spoken into a microphone in front of a camera and said things like, defund the police, <laughs> which has rattled their cage, that term, even even the the moderate Democrats and the and the and the uh, pundits, uh, oh, don't say that, don't say that. Yeah, but see, you and I know that it's because we say that because we mean it and we demand it that that's how we get change. We know that they see us and they hear us. And we used to say, we're coming. Millions of us are coming. Except we're not coming because we're already here. We're already here and we will not tolerate policing as we've known it. And that will now change. And it will change. It will change sometimes because, and, and anybody who was in the early part of the feminist movement knows this. Anybody who was in the 
early stages of the anti-Vietnam War movement knows this, the civil rights movement. And Martin Luther King knew it. Martin, I mean, this is, Cornell West was a guest on this podcast some, a couple times now. And he's pointed out how Gandhi and King and the nonviolent change makers know that their only success is through violence, not their violence. They would never lift a finger toward an act of violence, but they knew that through their peaceful behavior, through their nonviolence, through just showing up, it will so enrage those in power that they will commit acts of violence against them. And these acts of violence, the fire hoses, the dogs, the rubber bullets, the tear gas, the real bullets, it will so horrify the average person who will not want to see unarmed, peaceful demonstrators being attacked. And King knew and wrote about this, that we have to be willing to put our bodies on the line so that the rest of the country can see just how evil the people are who are in power and how they will be ruthless and they will use any means at their disposal to harm peaceful human beings trying to create change. And in harming them, they will turn public opinion against themselves and they will lose and we will win. And those of you who have put yourself on the line in this past year, especially this past year since the murder of George Floyd, but for all of you who've been doing this long before the murder of George Floyd, who've always shown up through the years on whatever the issue, you've made this moment happen. And we are at an amazing crossroads right now. And there is a transformation at hand. It has come about because there is a reckoning at hand right now. And so what I'm going to say here to my audience of one, I want you to know that I'm doing my best to speak on behalf of you. I want you to know that you have made the moment happen, but I also want to be very, very clear that the work not only isn't done, it's just begun. The work of the era that we are in now, the moment we are in now, there is so much more we need to do to push and push and push and push, to fight, to stand up. We have a lot, a lot to do. I'm sorry to say this. I know, I know so many people are tired and we're still in the middle of this pandemic. But my friends, I don't want you to take what I'm about to say to this individual uh, the wrong way because, because we have to keep moving and pushing. 
change will not take place if we just sit back and say, oh, yeah, look at this. We've Democrats are in power. Democrats got the, the House and the White House, and with Harris's vote, they got the Senate. No. None of this will happen on its own. It will only happen if we treat our elected officials for what they really are, the servants of us. They are there to serve us. They are there to do our bidding. They will not do it necessarily on their own. It will only happen when we make it happen. And again, that can go everywhere and anywhere from just showing up to vote, calling your members of Congress, writing an email, a letter, showing up at their office to have a polite conversation with them, but a forceful one so that they know you mean business. All of, all of any of a number of things and being out in the streets and protesting. We have to move that ball down the field. It won't roll on its own. Think of it as, yes, think of it as a soccer ball. And it's our great women's soccer team that we have in this country. That's maybe if there's an Olympics, they'll be there this summer. But it will not go on its own. And so that's why we have to do this. So understand that. Keep that in mind as I'm about to now record a message to someone whom I want to thank. So I've been invited by President Jimmy Carter to sit with him and his wife and his family in the presidential box at the 2004 Democratic Convention in Boston. And I had not met President Carter before. I had, I had, I had been in his presence. I mean, probably the first time was the, his very last stop when he was running for president in 1976 um, was Flint, Michigan. And the night before the election, he showed up in Flint, Michigan to speak at, at our giant city uh, arena auditorium. It wasn't that giant. It's probably held, I don't know, it might have held 8,000 people. It's called the IMA Auditorium. And this was to be his last stop. And uh, so a bunch of us went down there um, to be there for this this moment. He was running against Jerry Ford, who was the appointed president at that time, having served for just a couple of years uh, replacing Richard Nixon. But Jerry Ford is the only was the only president that had ever come from our state of Michigan. So it was a big deal. And Carter decided to do his closing speech um, in Flint, Michigan. So that's the first time I, I'd seen him in, in person. Uh, on this particular day in 2004, I'm sitting there with him and having a wonderful conversation uh, with him and his, his wife, Rosalind, uh, his daughter, Amy, uh, his uh, two sons, uh, uh, Chip, and I think, is it Jack? Just really wonderful. Now, the problem with me sitting in a presidential box is that all the, when the cameras are like, what the hell is this? Uh, you know, ex-hippie Michael Moore sitting with Carter. And of course, 
Fox News and all the right-wing press just went crazy bananas. Like, yes, of course, just in case any of you haven't figured out that the Democrats are all commies, look who is sitting in the presidential box, Michael Moore. So they had a real heyday with it, but, you know, I think that's maybe in part why uh, Carter wanted me to to be there with him because uh, he knew it would upset all the right people. After a while, now you have to understand, behind these presidential boxes or these, you know, these boxes that you have at sports arenas where the rich get to watch the, the basketball game or the football game or whatever, there's a big room behind these private boxes that where you can go back into it and they've got all this free food there. So I'd seen the free food on the way in and I decided to excuse myself and go back out behind the box to the room of the free food. And so I got a plate and I'm just getting some, you know, uh, chicken wings and, you know, stuff like that on the plate. And all of a sudden the, the door from the outside, to this room opens and in walks Joe Biden, Senator Joe Biden, a man I had never met, nicely dressed in this suit. And he looks and he sees me standing there with my plate of chicken wings. And he comes over and in a loud voice, he goes, motherfucker, whoa. Michael Moore. Oh, I have wanted to meet you. Damn. And I, and he's just like, I can't remember all the swear words because I was so embarrassed hearing about this. I can't believe he's saying this. There's people standing around. I'm thinking, don't you know, people can hear what you're saying, but he doesn't care. He's just so slap happy to, meet me, I guess. And he says, sit down, sit down. And I sit down at the chicken wings table and he sits down and then he just goes into this whole thing about, you know, the working people of this country and how they've been screwed for so long. And he started talking about Scranton and then Scranton and Flint and Flint and Scranton and the working woman and the working man and the the, the 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 unfairness of it all and the fat cats and the and I gotta tell you it had an effect on me because at first all I'm looking at is his perfect teeth not working class teeth and this well tailored suit and the hair it wasn't a haircut from a six dollar haircut from supercuts but but that was just the visual. The audio was he was talking like somebody from Flint or Scranton. or I knew the class that he came from and how he was raised. And this was right after Fahrenheit 9-11 came out. And he was just raving about that. And I'm like, dude, you know, it's not even two years since you, you voted to send us to war. You backed George W. Bush. And 10 years earlier, you got this crime bill passed that created massive, massive mass incarceration of black and brown people in this country. You. 
You treated Anita Hill that way. You. So I'm thinking in my head, he's just saying that because it's you and he's just trying to blow some smoke here. But it wasn't just a howdy high and a bunch of chin music. This is, we were now sitting there for some time. I had, you know, probably inappropriately forgotten about the Carters who were sitting on the other side of the door in the box, in the arena. But I found this Joe Biden guy to be very interesting. So a little over a year ago, we're out on the campaign trail with Bernie in Iowa and New Hampshire and early, the early states. And we're crisscrossing these states and, you know, we're constantly running uh, into the other people who are out there working for uh, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, um, um, you know, bunches of people. And by this time, there have been a number of debates. And if you remember, Biden didn't do very well in the debates. And he was also... Even when people like uh, Kamala Harris went after him on his busing record, he didn't fight back. He didn't fight back hard. I mean, he didn't come back mean. You remember during the, the debate, like, the you know, the little red light would go on that his time was up after like, he only had a minute to respond. He actually always obeyed the light. As soon as the light go on, he would go, oh, sorry, my time's up. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, you know, you can finish your sentence. You remember this about him? He was all, and he was never in attack mode. And he lost most of the debates. And he was always fourth or fifth in the polls. And in those first three states of, of Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, um, he lost. He lost them all. He didn't even come in. He was not in first, second, or third place. I don't think maybe one place he was fourth, but he was like fifth or sixth. He was way down. It was over for him. The Democratic uh, uh, power structure started getting very nervous that Bernie was going to win this. And they immediately had to do something to stop that. Biden was their guy. Clearly, Biden, was. it wasn't happening. And, um, and they all got behind. They got Bloomberg to run. Do you remember this? I mean, I'm talking about all the top the people that really run the show. They got Bloomberg to run. Do you remember all the pundits immediately went to Bloomberg? And he started polling really well. Bloomberg is going to be the one to pull this out and get rid of Trump. And that's and, and the, the pundits on TV started imagining what the campaign would be like. These two billionaires from New York City duking it out. Remember this? And they wrote Biden off. They dropped him like a hot potato. And so we're out on the on the trail there in January, December, January, February, early February. I never ran across not only um, nobody working for Biden, the way we, you know, we'd all, again, we'd run into all these other campaign people. Sometimes we'd, we'd all go grab a bite together. We, you know, everybody's just out there working for their candidate. Never any Biden people. It was really weird. You know, Basil and I were like constantly, like, it was almost like a game, like the uh, the first one to spot a Biden campaign worker. Do that game like when we were kids, when you'd see a Volkswagen Beetle, slug bug, and you'd pound, the, pound your brother or your sister on the shoulder. Slug bug, no rebound. <laughs> Anyways, 
No Biden people. But here was the other thing. No Biden. I mean, literally, there's there might there'd occasionally be you'd hear about some Biden event in some little gymnasium, and there'd be fifty people. Nobody showing up. Biden talking to everybody at the event. Uh, you know, being really nice with the kids, but no, no real, no effort, nothing going on. Well, we were really optimistic about Bernie's uh, chances until South Carolina. And um, that's when it hit a wall. That's when Biden rose up. And then a few days later on Super Tuesday across the country, especially across the South, um, you know, one numerous uh, primaries. And I think Bernie may, might have won four or five. That was about it. Elizabeth Warren couldn't even win her own state of Massachusetts. I mean, it was really, it was quite a train wreck for everybody who'd been working so hard for their candidates. And there was Joe Biden all of a sudden, boom. And um, so, and, and of course, Warren did, take a moment to eviscerate Bloomberg and it took about 20 seconds and that was the end of Bloomberg. And it became clear within a week or two that Biden was going to be the candidate out of nowhere. And I remember all of us, we really, we talked, it was just so sad about this. And just like four years, eight years of this, another moderate Democrat with half measures. We're not going to get anything done. It's it just you. Those of you listening to this, you know, you remember how you felt. And then he got the nomination, and all through the campaign, you know, we all went out there. We worked. To, we had to get him elected. We had to get rid of Trump. Man, that was it. Trump had to go. But the whole time we're doing it, kind of holding our nose, because we know Biden will be nothing, nothing like what we were hoping for a moderate Democrat, middle of the road, trying to play a conservative. And when elected, he will just lean to the right, to the more conservative Democrats. And that's how we felt. I think a lot of people felt that right up through election day, even going in and voting for him wasn't an exciting moment. It was just a resignation to, well, we got to get rid of Trump. And in fact, I think they were they were polling people who were voting, asking them, what's their main reason for voting for Biden? And it was like 57% said to get rid of Trump. The vast majority, it wasn't because of something positive about Biden. It, it was, we had to get rid of Trump and that was that and no more complaining. And so we did that. We succeeded. And uh, all of us, and especially Bernie, went out and worked very hard and did whatever we could during the pandemic. You know, I went on, I was on a show practically every day on TV. Um, I did this podcast. I did a lot of interviews. I did a lot of Zoom stuff in like local small town stuff, doing uh, Zooms, like giving a pep talk to people before they're going out and doing door to door on a Saturday morning or something like that. You know, I, I did a lot of that kind of stuff to get to help get out the vote for Biden and get rid of Trump. That is the background I want to give all of you listening to this because now I want to talk to our president.
this, and this is the moment, those of you, whoever you and you are working in the White House, who are, if you don't play this for him, which I wish you would, but if you don't, I understand everybody's busy. You got more important things to do than listen to Michael Moore. But I'm telling you, somebody there in the White House, you have to tell him what I'm about to say. And he needs to hear it because we are the progressive majority. We, the, we, we who call ourselves progressives or lefties or, or whatever you're calling yourself, let me just let you know that we, the people, we are the majority. So whoever you are in the White House listening to this, please pass this message along to your boss. President Biden, hello, sir. This is Michael Moore. We met, oh my God, what was it? Like 17 years ago in Boston at the Democratic Convention. And uh, we sat there in the room behind Jimmy Carter's uh, presidential box and ate chicken wings together and talked about Flint and Scranton. Do you remember this? You were so happy to see me. I was like shocked. And I had such a great time talking to you. And my radar, my working class radar is still in pretty good shape. And I know who the phonies are. And I know what the real deal is. And even though I worked in 2016 and again in 2020 to get Bernie in the White House, when Bernie didn't make it through this last time to be nominated, I went out and I busted my butt for you. And honestly, I did it because we had to get rid of Trump. I really didn't know what you were going to do. And probably like a lot of people feared for the worst that you were just going to lean to the right or stay in the middle of the road and not just get a whole lot done, be a, a placeholder president. I had no idea when you got elected back in November that you were about to do something so profound, so historic, so transformational. And that when you started talking about your first 100 days, you know, it just sounded like the same old slogan every new president uses. Except you meant it. You woke up. In fact, you didn't even wait to go to bed. You came back from your inauguration and went to work like you said you were going to do. And you had a lot of things that you were going to sign that day. I forgot how many there were. It was in the teens, I'm pretty sure. And one of the first ones was you rescinded the Muslim travel ban. You went right in there, picked up your pen, and did something to reverse the racism and bigotry against our Muslim neighbors. Now, you know, the typical Democratic president, I don't really start with the Muslims first. You get my drift. You know, you, you, do, you do something that, you know, seems like a nice all-American type thing to do. When you think all American, you don't you don't think Muslim really, do you? At least that's the way we've been trained. 
But you, you go in there and get the pen out. And you just immediately, within seconds, eliminate the Muslim travel ban. And then you just went to town. You put us back into the Paris Accords. You, I mean, just, it was stunning. And every single thing you did, it was like, you know, that meme that went out on Inauguration Day of, the, of Bernie sitting alone in that chair with his oversized mittens and sitting there, you know, sort of uh, like a Yoda or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, it, it he... It wasn't really Yoda, though, really. It was more Obi-Wan because now looking back on it, I see him there as um, as some sort of spiritual force for you because so much of what you've done, you've done it your way. Yeah, I mean, you disagree with Bernie. You don't like the idea of Medicare for all, but but in doing it your way, I can see him behind you. I have a feeling you guys are talking and not telling us about it. I have a feeling that he calls you and you call him. When Bernie said, he said it publicly and he told me personally that you guys are friends. I think that's true. And I think so much of what you have done already has been so progressive, and on many of these issues, you're getting a majority of Republicans agreeing with you on on the American Relief Act, agreeing with you on your gun control proposals, agreeing with you on the infrastructure proposal. You've got Republican people, not politicians, but people agreeing with you. Every time I've seen you speak, it seems like it is your conscience that's talking. You're going to some deep place inside of you when you talk about refugees, when you talk about, and the refugee thing is a great example of like the few times that you've done or said something where progressives would go, oh man, but like you 24 hours, 48 hours later, you you know, you had gone from, you're, you weren't going to do anything about the cap that Trump had put on refugees to all of a sudden you took it off. You are going to let refugees in more than he would have allowed. It's, it's you know, and, and, and this thing, look at the polls. I mean, the, it's just amazing what you're going to announce today how much of the American people, anywhere from 61 to 69%, support your plan to make community college have free tuition. They support your plan to have free pre-K for three- and four-year-olds. The majority of Americans, vast majority of Americans, support your idea that there be family-paid leave, whether it's because you had a baby or your wife had a baby, or your parents are sick, kids are sick, you need to take time off, you shouldn't lose your salary. 
all these things that you're talking about today, the human infrastructure of your new proposal. And they all, the people in the press, they just want to whine about, oh, this doesn't seem like unity, doesn't, Republicans don't like this. Yeah, too bad. You know, and as you've said to them, come up with a better idea. I know you're going to deal with health care. I know you know, you saw what I saw during the pandemic. You stood on the stage during the debates and you were running. And you said, oh, no, the best kind of health care, not, not by the government. No, not the government. Best kind of health care, you said, is employer-based health care, health insurance that your employer gives you. Well, first of all, you got to be lucky enough to have an employer and then, and then have an enlightened one because a lot of people are employed. They don't get any health insurance for the job. But, you know, you sort of, you were able to skate by with that answer until the pandemic. And within weeks, tens of millions of people are out of work. And by being out of work, if they had health care, they lost their health care. And while they got unemployment help from the federal government, they got no health care help. They lost their health insurance. It was gone. And it proved the lie of any politician that says the best thing to do is to get your health insurance from your employer. Because all of a sudden, when there were no employers, there was no health insurance. And we can't live in a country like that. It has to be like it is in every other democracy. Where somehow, in some way, the government says, no, you get sick, you're taken care of. You never take out your wallet. You don't put your house up for sale. There's no GoFundMe page. There's no tin can at the convenience store raising money for your sick child. No. The United States government that you are a citizen of and that you pay taxes to is going to cover you whenever you get sick. Boom. And it's coming. And I know you're going to do this. And no, you do not, don't call it Medicare for all. Don't do that. You already said you don't like that. Don't do it. Call it whatever you want. You know it's the moral thing to do. You know it's the Christian thing to do. It's the Catholic thing to do. To be there. In fact, and you go to Mass all the time, so you know the lessons. The apostles asked him, how do we get it to heaven? Give us the, give us the secret code here. We're, we're, we're the apostles. He said, okay, um, when I was sick, you healed me. When I was homeless, you gave me a home. When I was hungry, you fed me. If you do any of that for the people who have the least, you get into heaven. You know this is the way it has to be. Don't call it Medicare for all. I know you don't like that. Call it, uh, it's what, take it, we've had Obamacare. Instead of Obamacare, call it Joe Obama. Jobamacare. That's the name for it. Jobamacare. Call it Canadian healthcare. Yeah, we, ju- we just want what they have. We've taken everything else from them. You know, we took their national sport, hockey. We play hockey in Phoenix, <laughs> in Florida. We have NHL teams that we stole from Canada and we put them down here in places that can't grow ice. That's what we do. So let's take that. Let's take their idea about 
If you get sick, you're covered. Don't worry about it. You pay taxes. It's okay. I know that you're going to do that and you're going to do these other things. You have to do them because I have a sense that you know the moment you're in. This isn't about winning in 2024, is it? No. You even said while you were running, you may only run one term. This could be it. You know that. I'm, I just, before you give your speech tonight, I just wanted to thank you. I want to thank you for what you've done so far. I want to thank you for asking for the things you're going to ask for tonight. I want to thank you for standing up to these Republicans. I want to thank you for not pulling your punch. Yes, I know you, you dropped the $15 an hour minimum wage thing. And I know you feel bad about that because you campaigned on that. Bernie, Bernie talked that, talked you into that too. And you supported it. But then I woke up this morning and there you were, or one of your people was talking to somebody on one of the, one of the cable shows about how today, even before the speech, you're going to sign an order. You already signed an order back in those first days where you raised the minimum wage for any federal employee to $15 an hour. Today, you're signing a thing where anybody who is has a contractor for the federal government. So if any part of the federal government hires a local contractor to do work for them, they now must pay their employees a minimum of $15 an hour. So I forgot what the number was they said on, on TV this morning, but it was it's like we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people who work for contractors are now going to have their minimum wage raised to $15 an hour. And this is going to put thousands of dollars extra in people's pockets every year now because of just what you're doing today on that issue. Even if you can't, you couldn't figure out how to get it through for everybody in the country. But I know you'll do that too. I know you'll figure that out. I know you. You walked into a room and screamed motherfucker when you saw me. Politicians don't shout that word. But you just, you couldn't help your working class self. And you start talking. It's like when Rashida said that on, on the night of the first day of Congress or whatever, when she was uh, sworn in that day and they had a party that night and she took the microphone and said, we're going to impeach the motherfucker. And then she got into all that trouble, but, you know, she just explained, this is Detroit. This is how we talk. You know, the way, the way, the way there, you know, people in other parts of the country, they may just say words like, uh, horse, uh, tree, air. Those are, those are common everyday words. So, 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 motherfucker, Detroit and Flint and those kind of places where we grew up. It's not unusual. It's not bad. You know, I remember I got in trouble one time. I don't I forgot what grade I was in. It's Catholic school. And I had said something like, 
I mean, I mean, it was really nothing. It was like darn or damn or hell. You know, <laughs> words you couldn't say. And then hauled me up in front of the class, and I don't know what she was going to do, but I said, "Sister, can I just point out something though? God made all of us, right?" And she's like, "Yes." And and God made everything, in fact, right? Yes. That means all the words and all the languages, God created those. Yes. And then I think she saw where I was going with this. I said, you're punishing me for saying a word of God. Damn. The word damn, that's his word. He created it. Sometimes, and I remember I didn't say this, but I was thinking, I've heard adults, damn is like, sometimes they use it as God's last name. She didn't know what to do with me. I know you. I went to the same church, the same masses, the same everything. And I admired the same Catholic leaders that you admired, the Cesar Chavez's. You have a bust, a bronze bust of Cesar Chavez in your Oval Office. I know you, Mr. President. I'm glad you're there. Now, I don't know. Maybe this won't hold. Maybe you and I will be fighting sometime soon. <laughs> You could give two shits about any of this. I don't know. I don't think so, though. I think you do care. And not just about me, but all. Oh, think about this. There's hundreds of thousands of they're listening, listening in on this. And some of them are like, Mike, Mike, no, don't give them too much credit yet. And and then don't worry. I mean, it's not it's not about giving you credit. I said to somebody the other day, I said, I, I, I'm afraid to say this, this one line out loud because it's too early. It really is too early. But I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it right now. I'm going to say it to you, President Biden. It's already better than Obama. Yeah. President Obama, who I voted for twice, Came in in his first term, came in right away before he's even taken his oath of office. And he and, and he's put Larry Summers and he's put Tim Geithner in charge of the economy. And I knew then, oh, geez, we're never going to pull out of this. When he took over General Motors to save it, uh, you know, and, and, and he... And you, I heard you say this too. You, always went around, you guys went around saying how you saved Detroit. You didn't save Detroit. Detroit is not saved, not to this day. You saved General Motors and Chrysler. That You did that. But at the time, I thought, God, you've got, you've got this car company. Make it into a 21st century transportation company that we need. Yes, give it back to the board of directors and the shareholders, but give it back saying, but we have to do something different in this century. There's no more internal combustion engine. We have to think not about cars. We have to think about different modes of transportation that we all share together to help save the planet here. It didn't happen. So many things didn't happen. You're already in your first hundred days 
so much farther down the road. Some of these people you've put in your cabinet, amazing. Some of them, eh, you know, typical. You're hearing this from me. I have no reason to blow any smoke here. I have every reason to make sure you do your job and to do the things that you promised that you would do and to do even more than that. That's my job. My and all the other people listening to this, we are going to be on your back because that's our job as citizens. We need you. We need you to do these things that we need it done now. We're out of time. But that doesn't mean I can't thank you. That I can't tell you how many times I feel so good when I hear you say something. And then I remember it was you that blurted that out on a Sunday morning talk show back in I don't know, 2012. About how you guys really thought it was wrong that people could not marry someone of the same gender. <laughs> you smoked Obama out. He had to come out then and be in favor of same-sex marriage. But you made that happen. You're the one over the open microphone whispered to him, and we all heard it on the day of Obamacare. This is a big fucking deal. You said that. This is a big fucking deal. <laughs> That's you. Honest, authentic, sometimes maybe crazy as a loon. Sometimes the filter isn't there. Sometimes I'm sure your family's going, oh, geez, please, God, get us through this. Let him get to the end of the speech. It's okay, though, man. You're beautiful. You're doing good work. Do more of it. Stand up like you've been standing up. Don't back down. Keep moving it in the direction you've been moving it in. The people listening to this, we are the majority of this country. We are the, major the majority that believes women should be paid the same as men. The, the majority that believe climate change is real. The, the, the majority that, that believe... $15 an hour is the bare minimum of what people should be paid. The vast majority, according to every poll in this country, shows that the majority of Americans believe that women are the ones who choose what they want to do with their bodies. Go down the list of all these issues, gun control, etc. We are the majority. Don't be afraid. The majority is with you on all this. We're with you. I'm with you. When I'm not with you, I'll let you know. All of us will let you know. Post-pandemic, and hopefully we're coming to that moment, we're so going to be in the streets. We're going to so be around that White House. You're going to hear our voices loud and clear. We are a nonviolent people, but we will be heard and we will not tolerate waiting any longer for these things to happen. 
And for whatever reason, I think you're on some parallel plane with us. So stay there. Stay there with us. Listen to us. Follow us. Serve us. Thank you for these first 100 days. Thank you for shocking me and surprising me. And for bringing me to this point. I'm sorry that I believed that you weren't up for it. I'm sorry that I didn't understand that you were not on my train, but you were on a train that was on the other track going in the same direction. Maybe not at the same speed. Maybe not with all the bells and whistles. We'll fight you on all that. It'll be a good fight. Between people that share a similar heart and soul and conscience. That's where we're at right now. We're in this transformational moment. And you get to be the leader of this moment. So lead. Be fearless. Don't take any crap from these Republicans. They're a dead party. They did it to themselves. Something else will rise up and represent people that need that kind of representation. Don't worry about them. Your job is to save this country to save our democracy. Thank you for what you've done and what you're doing. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. And here's to your next 100 days. Man, I gotta believe, Joe, it's gonna rock. Make it rock for us, buddy. We'll be waiting and we'll be working. We'll be there. Bless you. This is Michael Moore, and this is Rumble. Rumble.